Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I'm a cop and I keep getting called to the same house by Barkles 52, part 2. My conversation with the US Marshals, it uh, left me speechless. It seemed like every time a question was answered, it just created 10 more questions. My Jane Doe was in the witness protection program. And why? Why would she risk her life by coming back here? Who wanted her killed? The US Marshals were extremely professional, polished, and appeared as though they wanted to help. They weren't willing to divulge any specifics or details of why Jane Doe was put into the program, or why she may have been killed for that matter. But they did tell me that she was a key witness to a very high-profile case years ago involving the ATF. They also admitted that Michelle Klein was in fact her real name. However, they faked her death upon entry of the protection program. Whenever I ran her fingerprints through the AFIS, it triggered an alert in their system and that's how they came to be standing in front of me. Before I could ask any questions, they actually shook my hand and thanked me for my time. They walked out the door before I could even get a why out of my mouth. Who killed Michelle Klein? Who kept calling 911? What did this poor woman get herself into? Why was there a receipt in her pocket from 20 years ago? I finished up the rest of my shift completing paperwork, which I eventually faxed over to the suits. I went home early Monday morning and only had two glasses of wine before rolling into bed by 500 hours. Don't be mistaken, it's not that I didn't want to drink an entire bottle again, but I was just uh, too tired. On Monday evening, I headed back towards the station for roll call, which started at 1700 hours. Sergeant Oakley read and summarized aloud the prior shift's reports before releasing us to hit the road and all that. But before I can finish racking my cruiser, dispatch calls. 
At dispatch to 1034. At 1034, go ahead. At 1034, we just got a call from a senior citizen who's currently at a neighbor's house. Um, she's a, a medical alert customer and oxygen dependent. Her phone lines are currently not working and is requesting to speak with an officer. 1034, show me on route. Although there isn't much for an officer to do on a call such as this, we're obligated to respond if someone calls and requests to see an officer. I drive down the long country road towards the caller and can't help but glance to my right as I patch patch lane sign. I arrive on scene and meet with the sweetest old lady who reminded me very much of my own grandmother in fact. She explained to me that she walked to a neighbor's house and called the phone company about her phones not working but just wanted an officer to keep her company until her phones were fixed since she was oxygen dependent. She also shared that she has already had more than one fall in her home and used a medical alert. I told her that I was happy to wait with her. She lived in a, an older farmhouse. There are many of those in this area though and had one of the prettiest farmlands that I've seen in a while in fact. She had her garden filled with colourful flowers and cute lawn ornaments throughout. She caught me staring too and said, Oh, yeah, my daughter comes by every week to help me keep my garden looking so pretty. Her husband mows the lawn for me and she tends to the flowers. I was shocked to see the local phone company drive down the gravel road within 30 minutes of my arrival. I went outside to greet the technician and explain the problem. He introduced himself as Tom and asked me where the box was located. As quick as I could repeat the question in my head, I heard the older woman yell from the porch, it's behind the shed. I followed Tom behind the shed for about 20 yards away as I saw a large three-foot square pole sticking out of the ground. But Tom walked over to it and began reaching on his belt for some tools and I asked, what's that? Uh, this is the box that connects a telephone line as well as a neighbor's line to the central telephone system. I'm going to see if there's some problems with the wires making the connections and stuff. He uh, attempted to open the hinge, but there was no luck. These old things go months or maybe even years without opening and take a little TLC to open if you get my drift. Ah, here we go. The front face opened after just a little elbow grease was put into it. I saw several wires and some labels next to the wires containing a series of numbers. So, explain to me what's going on here, I asked. Uh, sure. Well, these boxes were put here way before your time. They had to install these when landlines first became a thing, in fact. You see these wires and the numbers after them? They show to which address each wire is associated. I noticed a loose wire hanging from the bottom with no label. This one appeared to have a female attachment on the end. I asked, And what's that wire made to connect to? Oh, that's there so we can plug our phones into it and make phone calls and test the lines and all that. Wait, what? You can carry a phone in your pocket, plug it in and make a call from a box? Tom laughed and explained. Well, it isn't exactly that simple. You need a certain type of phone, but yeah, I guess it's kind of like that. What phone number would show up when you called someone from a box? Well... Whichever neighbor's line you selected up here. As he motioned to the labels and switches, it was then that I had my light bulb moment. What if my 911 hangups at Patch Lane were being done at one of those boxes? I asked. So, hypothetically, if, uh, if a house had no electricity, no telephone, could it still show up as the origin phone call if someone called from a box? 
Tom paused for a moment to think about it and responded. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, that's possible, I suppose. As long as the telephone line hasn't been reassigned to another person, I guess so. Tom finished up his work and was able to get the phones working again. I left the scene within the hour and it was still light outside. I decided to go back to Patch Lane in the daylight to see if I could find one of those landline poles. I arrived on the scene and began walking throughout the acreage and after about 20 minutes, I found it. I leaned over and wrapped my two fingers inside the front panel and pulled. The door opened with ease, much unlike the last box that I just watched Tom open, which meant that somebody had opened this box recently. But who? As I started to head back towards my cruiser, I heard screaming. <sighs> Fucking Haley again. I turned around and saw Haley sitting by the front porch. But this time, she looked to be in pain. She was holding a front paw in the air and kept licking at it, screaming in pain. I got closer to her and saw that her paw looked incredibly swollen. Now, I'm an animal lover, so I decided to wrap her in an old uniform shirt that I had in my trunk and set her in my cruiser. I grabbed my phone from my front vest pocket and googled local veterinarians. I was pretty damn surprised to see my family's old vet was showing us still open and in business. We had a black lab growing up that I swear was the most intelligent dog ever. Dr. Damires was just down the road and open until 8pm, or 2000 hours as I interpreted it. I glanced at my watch and saw that it was already 1940 hours, so I rushed down the road to the vet. Dr. Damire immediately took us in and began examining her paw. To be honest, I couldn't believe this guy was still alive, let alone still working. I remember as him being old, even when I was a kid. I mean, he had to be in his 80s by now. My dad used to always take our dog to him and I remember he would call Dr. Damire as the mayor because... He knew everyone in this town and knew everything about them. And for as much as my dog hated the vet, I swear my dad loved going there to just shoot the shit with Dr. Damires. So tell me, where did you find this cat officer? Ah, uh, just down at Patch Lane at the abandoned farmhouse. She was sitting on the front porch just crying in pain and I couldn't just leave her there. Ah, uh, yes. I haven't heard from Patch Lane in quite a while. Oh, are you familiar with that house? I asked. Well, I don't know if I would say that. I just remember the stories that circulated the town way back when. He stopped to write down some notes in the chart and he looked up and said, That was a beautiful farm once, you know. I remember taking care of the cows on the old Wentz farm when the goods lived there. Did you know the guy that lived there after the goods passed? Oh, I never knew him. I only heard many stories. What stories? Well, that the fellow was a jack of all trades, you could say. He dipped his hands into just about every illegal scheme you could think of. I heard rumors that he had ties to the mafia, in fact. But the guy was blonde-haired and blue-eyed and it supposedly was Italian. Now you explain that to me, officer. I never did understand it, but I suspect he was giving something or providing something to them. Just a very odd character, if you ask me. I never heard about the owner of Patch Lane until just now. Well, you wouldn't happen to know where he is now, would you? I asked. Ah, oh, 
He left town quite a few years ago. Never did see him again, in fact. Ah, well. Anywho, here's some penicillin that you're going to have to give to Haley for the next few days. This will help clear up the abscess to make sure this infection doesn't get any worse, and if it does get worse, just call my office, okay? Wait, what the hell? I'm going to have to give her medicine? So now I have a cat? I am more of a dog person, but I also can't stomach the idea of dropping her off at the local shelter either. On my way home, I stopped at a local mart and picked up a litter box, some cat litter and cat food. At least cats are a lower maintenance and more independent than dogs, I suppose. Haley decided to snuggle up next to me for the night, and I'll admit that it was actually the best I'd slept in months. I woke up Tuesday morning and decided to make it a productive day, despite the fact that it's my day off from work and I was completely exhausted. I began to think of who would have more information on Patch Lane or Michelle Klein. All of my thoughts came back to the same person, my dad. I mean, he was on the force back in the 90s. Hell, he was on the force even back in the 80s and the 70s. So, I drove over to his house and pulled into the driveway. I saw the rose bush in bloom in front of the house and it instantly reminded me of my mum. She uh, actually passed away a few years back, but every time I go to my dad's, I find pieces of her just everywhere, such as a rose bush that she planted or something else. I welcomed myself inside and was greeted with a huge bear hug. After feeding me and fueling me with his famous super secret recipe coffee, he sat down. Dad, have you ever been to the house in Patch Lane? Oh, wow. Yeah, actually, I have. Many, many years ago. Really? What were you there for? Well, the ATF needed a couple of uniformed officers to assist them with gathering evidence for a case. They busted the owner of that place for smuggling in illegal guns, I think, and he had them stored in a shed on the farm. What? I've been researching this place for over a week, and I've never heard of an ATF raid. Well, that's because it was confidential. We never wrote a police report on the incident. It was solely documented on the federal level, and they were very good about keeping it out of the media. We didn't have those, uh, the space phone things back then, so it was much easier to just keep this under wrap and all. Do you know what happened to the owner? Who was he? Uh, his name was, uh, was it John? No, 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 wait, uh, Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, that was it. Joseph, um, Mueller, I think. It was similar to Miller, but not quite Miller. And what happened to him? Right, well, uh, he had an inside mole with the police department and caught wind of the raid, apparently. He flew the coop, and I never really got an update since then. I began to wonder why Tim just didn't tell me any of this. Dad, uh, I've been dispatched to Patch Lane several times with Tim, and he didn't tell me any of this. Do you know why he wouldn't tell me about it? Well, Tim didn't join the department until about uh, 1997 or maybe 1998. And this all happened around 1995, about two years before then. Well, that made me feel a little better. I must admit that I felt guilty for insinuating that I was questioning Tim. My dad began to ask me questions about my own calls to Patch Lane, but I made the dash to the front door and told him that I had to get going because of Haley, and simply told him that... I had taken in a stray who was still healing and all. 
I hadn't heard back from the PA state lab yet, so I called them to get an update of what was written on the back of the receipt that I found in Michelle's pocket. My receptionist answered the phone. State Forensics Department. Hello, this is Officer Barkley following up on the case number 2018. I wanted to check the status of my evidence. The receptionist transferred me. A mail answered. Uh, hello, Officer Barkley. Sorry, we've been so busy and I didn't get a chance to call you sooner. We were successful in extracting the writing on the back of the receipt that you provided us, though. And it read L34-R16-L8. What does that even read? Well, I can't say for certain what this means, but uh, in my personal opinion, this definitely looks like uh, a combination to a safe or something. G'day, mates. So... I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favor to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. I became obsessed with trying to figure out where a safe could possibly be on Patch Lane. I woke up early Tuesday morning and threw some food in a bowl for Haley before racing out of my house. But don't worry, Haley, Mum will be home later, I said. She meowed goodbye in response, brushed along my leg, and trotted over to the couch to curl up and wait for my return. It's... it's just so damn hard to leave her now. She's filled a void in my heart that I didn't even know existed. Anyway, I headed over to my dad's. I didn't call him ahead of time since he's just down the road and I stop in all the time anyway. As I'm pulling up, I saw Tim's truck parked in my dad's driveway. Not very surprised since they're good friends and today is Tim's day off as well, so they just tend to catch up on Tuesdays or Wednesdays over a cigar on the back deck and stuff. I was actually really glad Tim was there because I actually had some more questions that I wanted to run by him as well. My dad greeted me with his famous bear hug and Tim gave me a nod of the head and smiled. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm actually really glad that both of you guys are here. I actually wanted to ask you about Patch Lane... Tim chimed in. Ah, oh, see what I'm talking about? Your girl is obsessed with this case now. Chip off the old block, am I right? My dad laughed. Ah, oh, I remember those days of obsessing over cases. I gotta say, retirement, it's treated me well. I welcomed myself back into the conversation. Okay, well, maybe there's a reason to be obsessed though. I just talked to the state's forensic lab and it looks like Michelle had written a code to a safe on the back of that receipt that she had in her pocket. I think that there's a safe somewhere in Patch Lane and it could have some answers for me. Tim took a long inhale of his cigar, held it and slowly released. You're going to make me go back there, aren't you? I flashed him a smile and offered. Well, I could go alone. Tim agreed and my dad laughed at him and remarked, Yeah, she does that shit to me too, Tim. Good luck with that. I added, Tim, 
I also want to ask you about the 911 hang-ups you used to respond to back when you were a rookie. What else do you remember about the tenant? Tim thought for a moment and then replied, Well, uh, she was a pretty young girl. She had two very young children. Neither could talk yet, so I bet they were under two. She looked young herself too. I would suspect that she was maybe around 20 years old. Just had that, uh, that baby face, you know? Anywho, she was very curious about the house and the locked door in the basement. Most people hated when the cops showed up, but she always seemed, uh, I don't know, relieved? She would mention how big that the house was and how she always felt like someone was watching her. Even the tenants after her made similar comments too, and I always chalked it up to being the history of that Wentz farm, you know? Tim, is there any chance that the woman we found in that basement was the same girl that lived there? Uh, I don't know. Why would it be? I always thought that she moved somewhere else because right after she left, a new tenant came in. I guess I don't know exactly what happened to her, though. Do you remember her name? Oh, jeez. Um, I'm awful with names. Uh, I'll never forget her face, but I can't remember names very well. You know that. That's why I immediately write every person's name down that I interview. I can't even check anywhere since I never took a report for checking a house. Well, could her name have been Michelle Klein? Honestly, I don't know. It could have, but I have no idea. I mean, it was 20 years ago. I turned to my dad. Dad, what do you know about the tenants of that house in the late 90s? He looked nervously down at his cigar and took a short puff. Well, um... I remember all of the tenants were um, similar. What do you mean? They like um, look similar. Dad, this is important. If you got something to say, just tell me what you're trying to spit out. He took a deep breath. Uh, well, all the tenants were young, attractive women. They were mostly blonde from out of town. The type of girls your mother would not have liked me stopping to talk to at the grocery store if you catch my drift. Wait, are you saying that you think that they were prostitutes? Oh, no. No, I just mean that they were young and pretty and kind of ditzy, you know? I wasn't sure what to make of this information, but I let Tim finish his cigar before we headed into the station. We were scheduled off for Tuesday, but given this new information, I requested and was granted to come in and work overtime to follow up. I remembered that Tim used to go to the beach and come back with old coins and whatnot that he would find using his metal detector and all. I asked him if he could bring his metal detector to Patch Lane with him this evening to help us find this safe. After we broke up from roll call, we immediately headed to Patch Lane. The scene was done being processed, so we walked through the front door and we went up to the master bedroom and tried every floorboard and every inch of the wall, looking for where a safe could be hidden. And we were completely unsuccessful. We mutually decided to try the basement before the rest of the house though. We worked our way into the room where we found Michelle's body and there are some scenes you just won't forget and that was definitely one of them. Her body was purple, swollen and just unrecognizable as human. The only way I even identified her as a young woman was based on the long blonde hair and the clothing she had on. Anyway, Tim ran his metal detector along the cement wall and we heard beeping. 
Tim continued to move it along to the left, and then there was some more rapid beeping. We looked at each other for a moment before we dropped his metal detector and we grabbed at the wall. I don't know what we were even grabbing at, but we kept feeling along the wall. As I pushed along the wall, a block moved. I grabbed my knife from my pocket and Tim grabbed his. We both shoved our knives along the cement brick and eased it from the wall. And there it was, the safe. It was an old-fashioned turndial lock, like the kind that I used to have in my high school locker. But drawing on my memory, I cleared the lock before trying the combination, and I spun it to the left, stopping at 34, spun it two times to the right, stopping at 16, spun it back to the left, and stopped at 8. And there was a click. I went to open the door, Tim's eyes and mine locked on the safe, and then I heard another click. But this wasn't like the unlocking of the safe. This was familiar. It was the cocking of a revolver. I turned around and was faced with the barrel of a gun. Well, well, well. You pigs just can't stay away from my house, can you? He had blonde hair, although the grey was taking over, and he also had piercing blue eyes. You're as bad as that bitch who couldn't keep her mouth shut. You know, I let her live here because she appeared cute and dumb. Her curiosity, though, was what got her killed just like what I'm going to do to you two. The problem with facing a gun is that no matter how fast I could grab my gun, he would have been able to pull his trigger faster. However, there are other options, so I slowly walked towards our killer, hands in the air, leveled with my shoulders and asked, You're Joseph, aren't you? Yeah, and you're dead. As he finished his sentence, my nose was barely touching the barrel of his gun. I grabbed the barrel, twisting it to his right, making a full 360 degree circle and I heard his pointed finger snap as it got tangled on the trigger and broke. I had his gun and pointed it right back at him. Get on the fucking ground now! He slowly raised his hands in the air and got on his right knee, and then his left. Tim ran behind Joseph and placed him in handcuffs. Once the scene was under control, we called for backup. As officers arrived on the scene, so did the suits. Two suits from earlier in the week came down and Tim and I recounted the evening's events. It was at this point that I realized I still didn't get to see what was inside the safe. I walked over and opened the door and I grabbed a handful of papers and pulled them out. They were photographs. Tim instantly said, That's her. That was the girl. Like I said, I'll never forget a face. Just names. The suits looked at him and said, that's Michelle Klein, your body and our witness. I took a deep inhale and released it with a long sigh. Now can you please tell us what the hell went on here? The suits looked at each other and the older one nodded his head. Alright, so your Mr. Joseph Mueller here was into some deep stuff. Most predominantly, he ran illegal guns and sold them to some big names, including the Mafia. The ATF thought that they got everything during their raid years ago, but there are so many hidden passages, tunnels, and root cellars throughout this property and land that he just kept hiding them somewhere new. Trust us, if you knew about the tunnels and the passages that you're literally standing on right now, you'd have nightmares for years. The suit took a sip of his coffee and continued. 
He actually used the tenants as a cover-up and targeted tenants who he thought wouldn't ask any questions and would be fine with sending checks addressed as cash to a P.O. box as their monthly rent checks. What he didn't expect was for Michelle Klein to start asking questions and go digging through this house. She stumbled across one of his root cellars where he stored guns and called the feds immediately. She didn't know if she could trust the local police at that point and went straight to the ATF. The ATF contacted us and said that they knew Mueller and knew that if he found out what she knew that she'd be as good as dead. So they sent her to us to protect her. Part of her protection meant that she needed to fake her death so that Mueller wouldn't be suspicious and go looking for her. She refused initially, but when we explained to her that her children's lives were at risk, she agreed. He looked towards the safe and continued. It looks like she used this safe here to store old family photographs and their birth certificates as proof of their existence. We told her that she had to leave all of this behind and couldn't take any evidence with her of her previous life or her children. This all happened on October 20th, 1998, and it looks like she wrote down the safe code on the first piece of paper that she found and kept it after all these years. We received notification about two weeks ago that her son was diagnosed with cancer. Fucking cancer. The kid was only 22 years old and had a brain tumor. She kept on telling us that she wanted to go see him and... We explained to her why it just wasn't possible, and we even told her that he probably wouldn't have recognized her anyway. She probably wanted to grab these photographs to show him to prove that she was actually his mother and jog his memory. When she was here, Joseph must have seen her from one of his tree stands and wanted to silence her. She was one of the only witnesses willing to go forward with the testimony, and we could just never catch him after all these years. I responded. Well, I hope this entire case can be closed now. The suits responded. Yeah, I don't think you should be getting any more 911 hang-ups from that house, that's for sure. I processed what they just said and asked. Yeah, but wait, who was the one making those phone calls then? They responded. We, uh, we can't disclose that information, but you can think of them as good Samaritans who had eyes everywhere and wanted to see justice done. We headed back to the station where I started the never-ending paperwork process. And now that we were more secluded, I grabbed one of the suits and decided to tell him about my experiences at the medical examiner's office. I began to think that he was involved somehow and it was something they needed to know. He stopped me and said... Well, this is actually something the M.E. wanted to talk to you himself about. Hold on a second. The suit came back with the M.E. and he extended his hand to shake mine. I was confused by the gesture, but shook his hand. Officer Barkley, I just wanted to say what a fantastic job you did on this case. I also wanted to apologize in person for how I acted and how I handled this case. I actually received an anonymous threat that if I performed an autopsy or did anything at all with the body, my family was going to be killed. They are. Uh, they even knew my daughter's school and her schedule and everything. I'm, I'm really sorry about everything and I was just afraid to go to the authorities out of fear for my family and all. I'm really glad to see though that you stuck to your guns and saw this case through. But dispatch interrupted. Dispatch to 1034. 1034, go ahead. Are you able to respond to a 911 hang-up? Affirmative. What's the address? 
G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.